0: For the first 12 years of my life, driving the stretch of highway on the 400 north from the 401, I don't know how familiar this is to people in Hamilton, but uh, this is kind of the stomping grounds where I grew up. And so, uh, the, the the stretch of the 400, when you when you come when you come on from the 401 to the 400, and you're driving north or south, that stretch there was both the most exciting. And the most devastating drive that we had as kids growing up. And this was because this was a stretch of highway that passed by uh, the promised land. The place where roller coasters were sky high. And fake mountains called to our names. and, And our parents would not buy us the tickets. I grew up 15 minutes away from Canada's Wonderland, and it took us 12 and a half years to actually get there. And each time we passed by on the highway, our eyes were peeled for roller coaster sightings. Can we see the dragon fire in action, or the drop zone going down? We knew there was more to life than what we were living as 10, 11, 12-year-olds. And Wonderland, what, what, was, what was taking place within those fences was it. It was, it was the place with water slides, roller coasters, and we even heard they had funnel cakes. It looked like paradise. And then one day, we got the golden tickets. And I think they actually were golden like this was before the days where you printed off tickets on crummy computer paper and you actually had to get printed tickets to things. Like I, I think that we lose something when we don't, actually, we don't have a, a nice ticket to go to a sporting game or, or, or Wonderland. We get this piece of computer paper with a barcode. The golden tickets were there. It was the real deal. This was it. We had gained the power to a perfect, fulfilled life. Now, it was an amazing day, but it did not fulfill the sky-high expectations that we'd placed on it. Have you ever experienced this? Something in your life that you had sky-high expectations for? Something that would finally make you happy? Something that, if you got this, you would finally arrive, and then after you figured out it doesn't deliver? See, the disciples thought they had the golden ticket. Jesus was the one who was going to save Israel. He was going to get them into their wonderland. How was he going to do it, though? That was the question. Because here's the thing. The, Jesus was their hope. He, it, them placing all of their, their chips in his corner was the right move. Jesus is the golden ticket. He was their Rocky Balboa who does win the fight. But the way of life, the way that Jesus comes into this rule, the way that he calls us to follow him, this is where the disciples were off. And so this morning, as we look at the value, a core value in our church of active discipleship, we're going to see that this is the key to life. Discipleship is the key to living a fulfilled, satisfied, happy life. But it doesn't always look the way we think it does. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the meaning of discipleship, the heart of discipleship, and the grace of discipleship. The meaning of discipleship, the heart of discipleship, and the grace. So first, the meaning. What does it mean to be a disciple? Because disciple is a very churchy word. We don't often use this word in our conversations in in day-to-day life, And, and so it becomes kind of hard to to wrap our heads around what Jesus is actually inviting us into. What does it mean to be one of his disciples? We have to think, at the time that Jesus was living, the most common relationship uh, of discipleship was between a rabbi and a disciple. And that's exactly what Jesus was. Jesus was a rabbi, and a rabbi is a teacher of God's word. Okay, the, the, the kind, kind of like um, a really smart pastor. So rabbis were, they, they spent their days studying God's word, le- learning how to interpret it, and then they lived it out. And they had people who were dedicated to following them, learning from them the ways that they had learned to interpret God's word and apply it to their lives. And so each rabbi would have some equally gifted Equally smart, equally thoughtful people following them and learning from them how they did things. Now you can think about ways that we do this in our in our culture, right? You, you think of one of the most common ways is, is a, as a teacher to student relationship, right? You sit in class and you open up a textbook and you learn about something, and then and then you apply it to your job or to your life. But Jewish culture did it a little bit differently. Being a disciple is almost like a step further than being a student. Because disciples didn't just go to class for six hours a day and go home. Disciples followed the rabbi. They ate with him. They drank with him. They lived with him. They did everything with the rabbi. If you think back to stories in the Gospels in the beginning when Jesus calls his first disciples, he doesn't just, he doesn't say, listen to me or learn from me. He says, follow me, which literally meant to to follow him, to, to go where he goes. They gave up their jobs, not for a semester, not for a night class, but for their lives. Years of dedication. And why was this important? Because I think the Jews they understood something about how we learn that we sometimes miss. Is that we don't just learn by hearing something and doing it. That sounds kind of funny sitting in a room when we're doing exactly that, doesn't it? I know it's it's kind of humorous, but this is this is not the way that we learn best. It's part of it. Part of it is listening to somebody talk and and thinking deeply about these things, but that's not the whole picture, okay? We actually need something more than this. We need not just to hear something and do it. We need someone to copy. And this is where YouTube is the best gift given to us ever, especially if you're a brand new homeowner, because I have absolutely no clue how to do any electrical or plumbing but someone on YouTube does and I can go and pull up a video on how to wire a new light fixture and watch someone step-by-step do it right I can pause the video I can back it up 30 seconds for the 15th time in a row this is how we learn we learn by hearing information, but not just information. We need somebody to imitate. Jesus actually says this in this passage this morning. Did you catch this? He says, I am giving you an example. The Greek word here is, is not just the example of, oh, here's one way to do it. Here's one example, but here's also another example. The Greek word is also the one that they would use if they were giving something to copy. I, Jesus, in other words, Jesus is saying, I am giving you something to copy. Do this. This is what's so different about Christianity. See, God, God didn't just give us a book filled with information. He gave us a person. Jesus Christ, the image of God, the perfect image of God, who we can look to as as how did he live, and we can imitate the things that he did, the way that he cared for people, the way that he talked to people. A core value this morning shows a little bit about uh, how this, this happens for us today. It says this, We expect every member of the church to be actively committed to being shaped by Scripture and prayer. Engaging with the community of believers and participating in the church's ministry to make more disciples of Jesus in the world. See, there's certain things that we do as Christians that help us to imitate Jesus. And two things that were highlighted in this core value were scripture and prayer. Right? We're doing that this morning. We, we spend time in prayer, we spend time reading and studying scripture. And someone I was reading this week kind of gives us a, a, the reason why this is important is because these two things, when paired together, reading scripture, studying scripture and prayer, is the way that we have conversation with God. He said this, that in reading the Bible, God speaks to us, and then in prayer, we continue that conversation. And so day in, day out, devoting ourselves to reading scripture and prayer, we we continue this conversation with God, and God actually moves into our hearts and starts making us more like him. Think about how much it took for the disciples to imitate Jesus. They were around him all the time. It makes sense that we have to devote ourselves to active discipleship, day in, day out, right? Being committed as a body of believers to this, helping each other, praying for one another. This is not an easy thing to do. The disciples were around Jesus for a while, and they still had no clue what he was about by this time. Now notice at the end of this passage that Jesus Jesus actually says that if they do these things, that the, we'll get to the foot washing in a second. If they do it, they put it into practice. This is what leads them to be happy.
1: I think in our Bibles it says blessed. The word is actually happy, satisfied, joyful.
0: Discipleship is taking up the pencil and copying how Jesus has lived. But what is he giving us to copy? Well, in this passage, he shows us um, one of the most important parts in the life of following Jesus, which is the heart of discipleship. So this is point number two. And the text tells us that it was midway through the Passover meal, and Jesus got up and took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, to Hamiltonians, we may think to ourselves, well, this makes sense. You know, this would be the same thing that you would do if you, if you were, you know, going out for a hike on the rail trail, going to see a waterfall, trucking up Dundas Peak. And yeah, you know, after a dry summer day, your feet get a little dirty, especially if you're wearing sandals. It makes sense that you have to wash your feet. Jesus is just being a bro and getting the basin and doing it for his disciples. But that's, that's, not, that's not it. That is This is a very culturally uh, sensitive thing that Jesus is entering into. Rabbis. Think, think of Jesus as a rabbi. Rabbis never... Never, 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 never,
1: never, never washed the feet of their disciples. Never. Because foot washing was a job for a slave. And in an honor
0: shame culture, for Jesus, the one in the room with, who was among the highest of authority, to lower himself to the lowest on the rung
1: was unthinkable. That was social suicide. It was, it was just—and it, it, Peter picks up
0: on this, and we'll get into that later, but Peter just can't, cannot wrap his head around what Jesus—what on earth Jesus is doing. Because this is not a job for a rabbi. And it's, it's hard. I tried to think of an example of this in our culture, and I can't. Because we have a, we, there's more of a parity in the way that we see jobs and work, and there's dignity in, in, in all things. And we know that's true in the way that God created the world, that every job has value and, and is meaningful, but In an honor-shame culture, there were certain things that certain people didn't do. This is one of them. And we have to see this in this text because it is the heart of what Jesus is getting at. So why does Jesus do this then? Remember, he's showing us what life is really about. He's giving us an example, a thing to copy. To his disciples and ultimately to us, he's showing us the call to servanthood, actually, by physically becoming a servant. He took the role of a servant here and washed his disciples' feet. And what Jesus is saying is that unless we become like him, unless we imitate him in our relationships, in our workplaces, assuming the role of a servant— We haven't got a clue what it means to live like Jesus did. This is this is central to the call of a disciple, is to be a servant. So does this mean that then we have to just empty ourselves to every single person that we see? You know, bring coffee to every single person in our homeroom, and and to to you know get start taking off the shoes in the office of of our work co-workers and start washing them and and burning ourselves out? No, because that's not what Jesus is getting at. Something a little bit deeper than that. See, the Gospel of Luke sums up, sums up Jesus' life by saying, he came to seek and to serve. And some of us are tempted to look straight at the grace of Jesus and say to ourselves, well, Jesus has fully paid for all of our sins. It's done. The sacrifice is Jesus, Jesus died, rose again, that's in the past, his grace covers me, and so it doesn't matter how I
1: live. But this means it does matter. But Jesus showing us that this is the example that you have to follow means it does matter. This is so countercultural. You see, in our culture, the more power that a person gets... The
0: higher up on a social ladder that they climb, the more that you are served and the less you serve. This is almost a general straight-across rule, if you think about it. The harder you work, the more authority you're given, the less you have to serve. The less you have to take orders from people, and the more that you have to get to order people around we are actually told tremendously to work hard so that we don't have to assume the role of a servant. But Jesus is telling us the opposite. Right before Jesus washes his disciples' feet, the text tells us that, that Jesus had all power. That he, the, all the power was given to him in all the world. And that's the moment that he assumes the role of a servant. Andy Crouch points something out to us that I think it's really important for us to recognize. Because there's a play at power here that's going on. Andy Crutch says, Something is warped in the grain of the universe. Something is off. We are bent in the direction of exploitation, privilege, and safety. Such is the power of the lies that have insinuated themselves into the human story from the beginning. And what Andy Crouch is saying is that while Jesus at the moment of his power went servant with it,
1: we actually go the opposite direction. At the moment of power, we bear hug it. We take it. And we hold it tight. This is, you know, from, from, Rep teams whose co-
0: the coach's son gets all the privilege, right? The moment of power. The coach has power, holds it tight, uses it to his own advantage. Or, or the privilege on the job market that those from, from the right city or from the right postal code or from the right country take their positions of power and hold them for their own. We are bent to do the exact opposite that Jesus is doing with
1: power. We need help to be free from this. Because this, this cycle
0: of, of hoarding power is what leads to exactly what Andy Crouch is saying. It leads to exploitation of others. It leads to some having privilege, others others having poverty. It leads to some being safe, others being um, opened and vulnerable. And we can't seem to get ourselves out on our own. We actually can't do what Jesus is, is saying that we have to do. What's the key? What, what is what is going to f- finally f- set us free from, from using power for the wrong things, for the wrong reason? How can we actually live as Jesus is calling us to live and and using power to serve other people? Well, that's where we have to see the grace of discipleship. And let's look at Peter. Because Peter is a perfect case of somebody who's having a hard time with what Jesus is doing. And so Jesus is about to wash Peter's feet, and he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And, And Jesus replies to him, you do not realize what I'm doing. But later you will understand. No, says Peter, you
1: shall never wash my feet. Why? Why is Peter so adamant? I think it's because of pride. He he
0: cannot wrap his head around how an honorable rabbi would serve him. It's a pride thing. I'm sure if he asked him, he would say, oh, I just, I'd rather do it myself. I'd rather wash my own feet than have someone like, like you, Jesus,
1: do it for me. He knows his feet need to be washed. It's just a matter of who. Who's doing it? Having
0: Jesus wash his feet makes him feel very vulnerable, uncomfortable. But Peter didn't realize that having Jesus wash his feet was the key to a life of discipleship. And Jesus actually says it. He says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Peter has to humble himself and let Jesus do it. Because this is what makes Jesus different than any other religious leader that's ever walked on this earth, is that, you know, Jesus doesn't come and tell us this is what you need to do to live a satisfying life, a happy life. This is the five pillars. This is the 12 steps. This is, no, he doesn't say that. He says, I am God who has come to serve you, and you need to receive this. You need to humble yourself and accept this, or you have no part with me. You need to see, Peter, and be okay with it, that I have come to serve you. The gospel levels the playing field here because every human being is on the same plane. Everyone needs to humble themselves and accept the fact that we need to be served by Jesus. We need to let him wash us.
1: And really what this passage is talking about is not foot washing, is it? Because days later, we see that Jesus took the ultimate form of a servant. Instead of washing
0: disciples' feet, he, he had nails pierce his feet and his hands, and a crown of thorns placed on his head. And he gave himself up to the most humiliating way to die in the history of the world to be nailed to a
1: Roman cross naked for the world to see and we have to let jesus do this for us there's no other way that we can be saved we also have to see that he wanted to do this for us it was out of love It was because he loved us.
0: I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones storybook Bible puts it when she's talking about Jesus' crucifixion. And she says, what the soldiers didn't get was that it wasn't the nails that held him there. It was love. It was love. On the cross, out of love for us, Jesus became the ultimate servant. He took your place. He died the death that you deserve so that you can
1: live the life that you don't deserve and we need to let him do this for us. See, I, th- I think oftentimes
0: we think of the cross as something that's already been done in the past, and so it just is something you have to accept. And- but if we think about it this way, if we put ourselves in the shoes of Peter, it forces us to humble ourselves and really wrestle with, Then, okay, what do we do with this? What do we do with someone who would stoop so low for me? How does this call me to live? With the game already won. Right? Jesus Christ died for our sin. Rose again victorious. Right? The debt is paid. We, we see what life we have. The, the, the game is over. The, we win in overtime.
1: How then do we live in the reality of this is active disciples, right? He is our golden ticket. Faith in Jesus
0: serves our deepest need and frees us to enter into servant relationships with everyone we meet. We, as Jesus Christ has served us, are free to serve others because it won't, we won't ever use things like job or, or school or education or money to serve our deepest needs because Christ has. And so they simply become things like money or career. We know that, that, that our future is secure in him, and so we don't have to worry about things that are fleeting in, in our world. Sure, they can They can throw us off, but they don't have to lead us into despair. We We can use our job as a way to serve others instead of serving ourselves. Faith in Christ
1: changes the way we approach life because he is our golden ticket. And we have him, and we receive him by grace.
0: In the life of discipleship, imitating him, is the way to
1: true happiness. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks for being a God who serves and who stooped low and who took on our brokenness and our sin
0: living the life we should have and dying the death we deserved. Lord, we pray that as we contemplate these words here this morning, the call to to follow you and to servant uh, leadership and, and, and living our lives in, in, in following uh, the way that you've given for us to live, we pray that we would understand how to do this. Would you give us your Holy Spirit to see uh, things clearly, to hold on
1: to the hope that's in the gospel. we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.